We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Patrick Hamilton, the campus pastor of ministries and interim kids pastor at Rolling Hills Community Church's Nashville campus. Today, we're continuing our Advent series. In today's sermon, Pastor Jason will be teaching from Luke 1, focusing on the theme of love and God's ultimate display of love in sending His Son, Jesus. Now, here's Jason. Well, I am so glad you guys are with us here on our Christmas series as we continue this incredible series called Love Came Down. And if you don't hear anything else I say for the next few minutes, I want you to hear this. While you are here today, I want you to realize God loves you so much. He loves you so much more than you could ever articulate. He has a great plan for your life. I don't know what each and every person individually in this room is going through, but I know that God loves you. He has not forgotten about you. He has an incredible plan for your life, and he is making sense out of all the things in your life that may not be making sense to you right now, and he gives you life, and he gives you hope, and he gives you joy. And so I hope and pray that you are resting in that this very morning, and I'm truly humbled for you choosing to be here with us today. Now, as I reflect back on my almost 40 years here on this earth, I realize that I have won a few awards in my time here um, in this earth. In second grade, I did not miss a single day of school. So I was given a perfect attendance award and a certificate. Wow. Um, I had no idea applause would happen, but I was given a, a perfect attendance award. Ever since then, it's not anything that I've aspired for, and I never won perfect attendance after second grade. On my high school graduation, I was given the Citizenship Award, which means, I guess, I was a good citizen of the high school. And about two years ago, uh, my insurance company called me, and I was given an award, the Safe Driver Award, because I had not had any claims. And so they said, you're such a safe driver, we're going to give you a little bit of a discount on your premium, which is brilliant, because it's a great way to say, here's $20 for not costing us thousands of dollars in a claim. So I guess you could say, I'm a pretty big deal. And when I look out across the room, I realize that I am in the midst of other people who are pretty big deals. In fact, some of you have much greater accomplishments than I ever will, and I applaud you for that, each and every one of you. But I want us to stop for a, think it, stop for a second and think about what makes us worthy of all of these honors. Why are certain people given awards for certain accomplishments? What makes someone worthy of the honor that is being bestowed upon them? Now, culturally speaking, you and I are probably most aware of awards that people receive for accomplishments. They're the top seller in their division, or they wrote the best song, or they invented something that did not exist. And every one of those awards is well-deserved, it's merited, and it's good. But is it entirely possible that there are some other honors that can come our way for a completely different set of reasons, for a completely different agenda? Is it impossible that God is setting some of us apart for a work that may not be noticed by other people, that may never be trending on social media, but that will be used by Him to accomplish something significant in the life of another person? I believe so. Why? Because love came down. And because His love came down, He wants to reframe for us what it really means to live a life for Him. And to live a life on mission for our life to be about what it really needs to be about. And what our life can be about is ultimately knowing Him and making Him known. And so I'm so grateful for you being here. And I want to ask you to set your sights on Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56 is going to be the text that we're going to be looking at today. 
You're going to see it up here on the screens. You may have a mobile device or a copy of God's Word if you want to go ahead and turn there. In just a moment, we're going to read that and ask God to do what only He can do through that text. But before we do that, let's pray. And let's just thank God for this day and thank Him for this amazing Christmas season and for this promise that love came down. God, thank You for who You are. We're so grateful for this day. I'm thankful for each and every person who has assembled in this room today. And I pray that, above all, we would realize how much we are loved. And that because of that love, you want us to go and you want our lives to be about the right things, to be about God-honoring things. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your strength. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56 is our text today. I'm going to read that to you in its entirety so you can hear this amazing part of the story. Starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So you see in Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56, that part of the story really centers around two primary characters, the first of which is Elizabeth, and the second is Mary. And Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, and about six months prior to this moment, she was barren. And her and her husband, Zechariah, were getting up in years, and they had not been blessed with a child. And the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah while he is in the temple and tells him that his wife will have a baby. And we know that that baby was John the Baptist, and John the Baptist would be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. And at this point, Elizabeth is, again, roughly probably six months into her pregnancy, enter Mary a young girl who also was engaged to be married to Joseph and receives a equally life-altering proclamation from the angel Gabriel. Gabriel comes to tell Mary, you are going to have a baby. However, Mary's situation was quite different from Elizabeth's because Mary had not had a sexual relationship with Joseph or with anyone, which which causes her to ask the question, how? And maybe you were here with us last week, and I said this, that when God is working in our lives, many times what we ask are why questions, whereas we should be asking some how questions, not why, God, am I going through this, but God, how are you going to work in the midst of this situation? And the angel answers the how question and tells Mary the baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, by God. God is the one who this baby belongs to, and his kingdom will never end. It's why we sing songs like, he shall reign forevermore forevermore. There is no end to his kingdom. And in this proclamation, the angel reminds Mary of what God is doing with Elizabeth. And so Mary decides to go visit Elizabeth. And in our modern measurements, this is about an 80 to 100 mile journey. 
So this is a couple days, about a three-day journey that Mary would be taking, which leads us to the point that Mary traveled a lot for an expectant mother. I mean, at the beginning of her pregnancy, of course, at the end of her pregnancy, she is traveling a lot. And when she gets there to visit Elizabeth, you saw it there in the text, you can only imagine that Mary's tired and probably undoubtedly overwhelmed by all that is happening in her life. And all that this situation is missing when Elizabeth steps into the picture, all that it's missing is a marching band, a confetti cannon, and a balloon arch. Because Elizabeth is excited. She has pulled out all the stops. She is excited to see Mary. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby inside of her leaps for joy. And it says that God overwhelms Elizabeth. Why? Because they were in the presence of Jesus. Albeit in utero, but in the presence of Jesus, God overwhelms Elizabeth so much, so much so that she loudly proclaims to Mary, blessed are you, blessed are you. I am so favored that you would choose to visit me. The mother of our Lord is here. Now, after a three-day journey, the last thing that I would probably want would be someone yelling at me that I'm blessed and that they are excited to see me, but nonetheless, don't miss why Mary went in the first place. Why is Mary going to see Elizabeth? I can't help but believe that she's going to see Elizabeth to see if what the angel told her was happening to Elizabeth was actually true. Because Mary's world has been turned on end. And the angel says, oh yeah, by the way, I've done some, I'm going to do something impossible with you. I'm doing something impossible with Elizabeth as well. And so Mary makes the journey to go see Elizabeth. And up on arrival, she's comforted. And Elizabeth reminds her, how blessed she is. Elizabeth is honored to be in the presence of God. And you see something so significant here. It's as if what God is doing individually with Mary, it's confirmed in the community with Elizabeth. Isn't it cool how God does that? The things that he's doing in your life individually are meant to be affirmed by other people. It's why relationships are so important. Because when you begin to engage in a relationship with someone else, they affirm in you the things that God is doing. It's why we're never meant to live in isolation. And there's something so cool about this. You start building those real relationships with people, and they start to remind you you're not alone, that God has got this, that God is in the midst of this. And now a word that Elizabeth keeps throwing out there is blessed. She's yelling it, but she keeps saying, you are blessed. Look at verse 42, loudly, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Scroll down to verse 45. Blessed is she who believed the Lord would fulfill his promises. I dare to say that most of you in this situation would not consider yourself blessed. If Mary's story is your story, think about it. She's a first century teenager who is pregnant by God. I mean, that's a likely story. Can you imagine the jeers, the insults? She walks through town, and at some point, people are elbowing herself. There's the girl who I'm sure has been sleeping around with other people, but she's telling us that God is the one whose child she will be carrying, lest we forget that Joseph is going to be involved in this situation at some point. This is not my idea of a blessing. A blessing is when I get green lights on the way to work. <laughs> a blessing is when I pay for a grande frappuccino at Starbucks and they give me a venti. Some of you don't speak Starbucks. What I just said is you pay for a medium and you're given a large. That's a blessing. A blessing is when I get a Christmas bonus check that I wasn't expecting. 
Enter Elizabeth, though, she looks at Mary and she says, Mary, you're blessed because you believe that God will do what he says he is going to do. That's the blessing. And you see this here on your notes. If you'd like to fill in some of these notes, and I encourage you to do that so that you can take these notes with you and maybe reflect upon this throughout the course of the week. The first one is the promise of love coming down reminds you of what it really means to be blessed. The promise of love coming down, that's what reminds you of what it really means to be blessed. See, Elizabeth knew that Mary was blessed, and her affirmation helped Mary realize just how blessed she was as well. And that knowledge causes Mary to break into song. In fact, this is what I like to call the very first Christmas carol. Oh, come all you faithful, grandma got run over by a reindeer. That's not the first Christmas carol. It's right here. Mary breaks into song. She breaks into praise as a result of this proclamation that she is blessed because of what God is doing in her life. And this is referred to as the Magnificat which is a Latin phrase that's translated for magnificent because she's talking about how magnificent God is in this moment. And so we refer to this now as the Magnificat. So go back to verse 46. I'm not going to sing this for you, even though she did. I want to read you the text, though. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy his, is his name. See, Mary realized that being blessed had nothing to do with her circumstances. But it had everything to do with the presence of God with her. So much so that in verse 48, she starts referring to herself as blessed. Because she realizes God's presence is what has led to this blessing. Some of you in this room this morning do not consider yourself blessed. You're looking at me and you're saying, my circumstances are not what I think they should be right now. I didn't get that promotion. I didn't get that award. This has been a tough financial year for my family, or this has just been one of the toughest years that we have ever had to endure. And some of you are looking at me right now and you're saying, Pastor Jason, don't tell me that I am blessed. And I would respond to you, the promise given to Mary and the promise that has been fulfilled for you and I of a Savior, that's what leads to a blessing. That's where the blessing comes. Do not refer to yourself as blessed because you have more money than the person sitting next to you. You realize you are blessed because the Savior of the world knows your name. You realize you are blessed because the Savior of the world knows how many hairs are on your head. And in some of your cases, how many are not on your head. That's the blessing. That's the blessing, and he desires to be in a relationship with us and to walk with us and to be our constant comfort and our constant guide. Perhaps some of us don't realize just how blessed we are because we think so little of Jesus, both from a quantity perspective and a quality perspective. Sometimes I don't realize how blessed I am because I just don't think about Jesus very often. Or when I do think about him, I'm not thinking about him in the right context. I think about him as a grandfather who just gives me all of my wishes. No, he's the savior of the world that was born and lived a sinless life and endured the cross, the agony of death, and he conquered the grave and sin forevermore so that you and I could be made whole and you and I could live when we realize who he is. We realize just how blessed we are. Back to verse 46, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices 
in God, my Savior. See, Mary rejoiced because of God. She had a keen sense of joy because of Him, because of His love, because of what He was doing. And I believe that whatever we focus on, I believe whatever we focus on in our life as most importantly is ultimately what we're going to find most enjoyable. Whatever we tend to focus on as kind of the most important thing in our life is what we're going to find most enjoyable. Put it another way, you'll see this here on the screen. You will have the greatest joy in whatever you find the most magnificent. You will have the greatest joy in whatever you find the most magnificent. Here in the Magnificat, Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord, or my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Did you get the connection there? She says, the rejoicing, the rejoicing came from the glorifying and the magnifying of God. My soul is magnifying God, therefore my spirit follows suit and rejoices. If my soul magnifies money, I will rejoice when I get more money. If my soul magnifies awards, then I will rejoice when I get more awards. If my soul magnifies the Lord, then the Lord's presence will overwhelm me, and I will find great joy in Him. Mary is saying, the object of my affection, that's where my joy comes from. And because God is always good, and because God can always be trusted, I can have joy and hope and peace no matter what because of His love. And these scriptures that we have here in front of us, that you have on your mobile device, that you see here on the screen from start to finish, the Bible reminds us of God's love for us and that he can be trusted no matter what might be going on and that we can magnify him in the midst of any circumstance, including 2020, that we can rejoice in him no matter what we might be going through. James chapter 1 verse 2 is an amazing example of this. When James says to what? Consider it pure joy. Whenever you go through trials of many kinds, why? Because that builds up your character and it builds up your perseverance and because it reminds you that God is there with you. Sometimes I tend to find joy in situations that are only comfortable for me. And if I'm looking for that in a situation that's only comfortable for me, then it's probably going to evade me. And it's a realization that I don't really understand God's loving grace and that he is with me no matter what I might be going through. See, for Mary to magnify the Lord... She put him above everything else, and her soul rejoiced because of that. But not only did she magnify the Lord, but I think that you see in another amazing point here, and it's a point that I don't want you to miss out on, because I believe this is something that is so needed for us right now. I think it's needed right now in the world more than ever. I think it's needed in your place of employment. I think it's needed in your family. I think it's needed in your community. And to magnify God, here, catch this, don't miss this, to magnify God, means that I magnify myself less. To magnify God means that I magnify myself less, meaning I think less about myself and more about God and more about others. Both Elizabeth and Mary embodied this truth. Look at verse 48. Mary says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What do we need right now in the world? We need a lot more humility. What do I need in my life right now? I need a lot more humility. What is so underrated in the world right now, but we are desperately clamoring for it? Humility. Not prowess and not power. Humility. We don't give awards for humility. 
because that would be an oxymoron. Could you imagine me standing up here with a microphone? And the award for the most humble person in 2020, Norma, come on up. You know, Norma's going to hide under a rock because she's like, yeah, I am humble, and my humility is causing me to want to escape this room right now. We don't award humility, but it is so desperately needed. You and I need to be more humble faithful servants of the Lord. Why? You see this here on the screen. Because humility paves the way. Humility paves the way for a deeper understanding of God's love. Humility paves the way for a deeper understanding of God's love. Think about the life of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 reminds you of this, that Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Why did Jesus do that? Jesus did that because that was God's plan. God so loved the world, that's John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son, so from the throne room of heaven to the virgin's womb. That's what Jesus did. That is the humility that he showed. That's the humble, earthly beginning of Jesus. But humility also helps me to understand what Jesus did for me on the cross. We won't understand fully what Jesus did for us on the cross until we adopt a posture of humility and we understand that Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you when you were in a perfect state of perfection. He died for you when you were a sinner. Romans 3, 23 reminds us that who have sinned, all have sinned. So we're all in this together. So how can I accept him? Well, I have to humble myself and become under his lordship. It's Romans 10, 9, and 10. If I want to be saved, that I have to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And when I say Jesus is Lord, who am I saying is not Lord? Me. That Jesus is Lord. That's an act of humility. But humility also helps me understand God's economy. If I really want to understand what God's about, then I should be praying to grow in humility. Because in, uh, in Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew, if you go to Matthew chapter 22, you'll see that some of the religious leaders came to Jesus, and they were trying to ask him, of all the Old Testament laws, what should we really care about? What should we really focus our life on? And some of you know the answer to that question. Jesus looks at them and says, the two primary commandments, what? Love God and love others. So if I'm going to love you more than I love myself, it's going to take me growing in humility. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It would affirm that. That love is not self-seeking, but it is selfless. So see, humility helps us to identify with Jesus. And it helps us to praise him no matter what might be going on. And it helps me to realize, you know what, life's really not all about me. Now, Mary had some questions. Mary had some concerns as you would imagine. But rightly so, because of the presence of God, she had a posture of humility. And because of the presence of God, she was able to sing his praises. Look back at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Some of you in the room are grammar geeks, and you've noticed this. Verses 49 through 55, the subject connected to each one of these sentences is God. God is primary here. God is the subject. Mary is not making this all about here, about herself. 
God is who she is praising. Her song of praise is all about him. It's not about her. And sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, I believe in life, sometimes we just make things about ourselves way too much. Whereas God is saying, no, humility helps pave the way. Humility, being a humble servant, was what helped Mary understood how she could magnify the Lord even in this um, overwhelmingly unknown season that she was in. And if you look at verse 51, what she says about the proud and what she says about people who are not humble, look at verse 51. It says, he has scattered the proud. So if being proud and, and, and being, you know, always all about me, what she says is, no, he has scattered the proud. What about the rulers? Verse 52, he's brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. He's brought down the rulers. He's lifted up the humble. He has scattered the proud. He has lifted up the humble. And you see this next point. I believe that God delights in doing immeasurably more with those who realize they're significantly less. I hope you can remember this this week. God desires and delights in doing immeasurably more with those who realize they are significantly less in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, but I love this passage of Scripture because this is the passage of Scripture that Rolling Hills Community Church put a stake in the ground on now almost close to 20 years ago where we said, we believe this about God, Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to His power that is within us to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is the one who does more than we could ever ask. God is the one who does more than we could ever imagine. God is the only one that could give joy and peace and life and hope to this young virgin girl because his love has been lavished up on her and she is realizing God does immeasurably more when I am significantly less. Sometimes we think God only uses the strong people. God only uses the people that have a much bigger following than me. God only uses the people that have a much bigger platform to speak on than I do. What does Mary say to that? Mary says, no, he's actually brought down rulers from their thrones. He has scattered the proud. And what has he done? He's lifted up the humble. She didn't say, like me, because that wouldn't be very humble. But it serves as a stark reminder here that God uses the weak and God uses the insignificant all the time. It's one of the most amazing things about God's love is that he specializes in using weak <clears throat> and insignificant to accomplish his task. See, God does more with less all of the time. And when I think about this principle, I <clears throat> my mind goes to a dear saint um, whose name is Sarah Gladman. Sarah Gladman um, is somebody that I'm the only person I know unequivocally. I'm the only person in this room that would know who Sarah Gladman is. Sarah Gladman was a faithful servant of the Lord. And Sarah was a part of the church that I grew up in in Kentucky. And what you need to know about Sarah is from a worldly perspective, Sarah was poor. And I'm not talking like she had hit some hard times. I mean, Sarah was poor. She was quintessential, like very, very poor, to the extent that everything that she wore, she made herself. 
She would drive to church in a very old, beat-up car. But when the doors of the church were open, Sarah was there. When there was a need in the life of the church, Sarah was there. When there was someone hurting, Sarah was there. When there was someone needing prayer, Sarah was there. When we would do canned food drives at church, I will never forget this, Sarah would be both a contributor and a receiver of the canned food drive. Um, and when I graduated college, um, and I had known Sarah my whole life, you know those people that you don't have a memory of them not being around? And I love that her last name has the word glad in it because she was the epitome of just a glad, joyful person because of the love of Christ. When I graduated college, I took an unpaid internship with a college ministry in Kentucky. The key word there is unpaid. Meaning, if I was going to eat and have some of my basic necessities met, it was going to come from the benevolence of other people and the kindness of other people. And so I did what I thought was the best thing at that moment. I pulled out paper and a pen, and I wrote letters. Now, some of you under the age of 30 or maybe under the age of 25, we actually used to do that. It was like a stamp. You'd put it on there. I meant handwritten letters to my little sphere of influence at my church in Kentucky. And Sarah Gladman was one of the people that received those letters. And from day one, Sarah Gladman became a monthly supporter of what I was doing in this work. And y'all, it's to the extent that I almost felt bad taking her money, but she wrote me a letter one time with a $100 check attached that told me how proud she was of me and that she was glad to be a part of the work, that she was humbled to be a part of this journey with me. And what you need to understand about Sarah is Sarah didn't understand college ministry. Sarah, at best, had a high school education. She had not stepped foot on a college campus. She didn't know what I was doing. And during that internship, Sarah actually passed away. And she went home to be with Jesus. And this is what I can tell you about Sarah. Sarah was not winning any awards. Google her name later, you're going to find zero hits. She wasn't anybody of importance from a worldly standards. Not many people knew her name. She lived a very simple life. And when the world thinks of Sarah Gladman, I think they think of a mother or maybe a grandmother, but I think the word that most people would probably use to describe Sarah is she was a poor lady from Kentucky. But when I think about Sarah Gladman, I think of a faithful servant of the Lord who had a vision for something she couldn't see. And she wanted to be a part of something so much bigger than herself. And she invested in my life and she invested in my ministry. And I stand here today on the shoulders of people like Sarah Gladman and so many others who have said, you know what? I believe God can do immeasurably more through me when I make myself significantly less. I think the world needs more Sarah Gladmans. I think the world needs more people like Mary. I think the world needs more people who will rejoice in him above all and will say, you know what, God, because of your love, I will be an ambassador for you. Because of your love, I will go and I will share your goodness with everyone that I come in contact with because I can't help but talk about that grace. I can't help but talk about that mercy. Sarah knew what God had rescued her from. And she said, you're out on the front lines. I want to be a part of that. I don't know what happens on college ministry, but I want to be a part of it. The world needs more and more humble, faithful servants. 
And you see here at the end of this Magnificat, look at verse 54. Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three more months and then returned home. So Mary ends this praise song. She ends this first century, this Christmas carol by going into a little bit of a history lesson because it's clear that she has a deep understanding of who God is. And she has a deep understanding of God's faithfulness throughout the years. This prayer is very strikingly similar to the prayer that Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel when she was asking for a son, an acknowledgement of how God is working. And she says, Mary says, he has helped Israel. He was merciful to Abraham and all of his descendants. I love this because she's praising God for things that he did 2,000 years ago. We've talked about this numerous times, but in between Malachi and the beginning of what's recorded in the New Testament, 400 years of silence. There's 400 years of silence that people are just waiting for the answers. They're waiting for God to speak. It would have been completely normal for a person to wonder if the promises were even valid anymore. Mary knew they were still valid. She knew God could still be trusted, and she had a soon-to-be husband that's also getting ready to have his mind blown. And now they're going to bring this baby into the world in the most humble of conditions, and they're going to raise the Son of God in real time. And 33 years later, she's going to stand at the foot of the cross and watch as her son is hung on that cross for the sake of all humanity. And what you and I have right now that Mary didn't have the luxury of is the complete story. Mary was living it in real time, and living it in real time, she was still trusting. And this is where I want us to close today. Because I think there's something here that we can take with us today. See, Mary knew in part, but she trusted in full. We know in full, but we struggle to trust in part. Think about it. Mary knew in part, but she trusted in full. We tend to know in full, but struggle to trust in part. She was blessed because of his presence with her, and his presence was all that she needed to believe and to trust. Sometimes we operate under a premise, or at least I do, where I will say, God, if you could just give me a few more details, if you could just answer a few more of my questions, if you could just move a few more of the unknown variables into the known category, then I will really trust you. And I see right here on the face of the scripture. What excuse do I have then? Here's the whole story. It's his birth. It's his life, sinless. It's his death. And it's his resurrection. So God is here. God has made this story clear. He sent his son. Why? Because he loved you. And he loved the world. Maybe today will be the day that you accept him. If you want to talk with someone about that or pray with someone after that, I would encourage you to stick around after the service and just hang around up here at the front. And one of our staff or our pastoral care team would love to talk to you. Or maybe for some of you guys who are walking with Jesus already, you need to be reminded he wants to use you as an ambassador to spread his love, to invite people to Christmas Eve services, to have spiritual conversations, to pray for opportunities to be on the front lines of ministry. So my question for you is, what immeasurably more work could God do through you if you were willing to make yourself significantly less? What is that immeasurably more work that God could do if you were willing to make yourself significantly less? Let's allow his love to be what compels us to go and to be on mission for him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for sending your son, for paying a price that we could never pay. We're so thankful, Lord, for Jesus. And it's in him that we have life. I pray for the person right now in the room who is struggling to wonder if they can really believe all of these promises. 
And I pray that you would meet them right there in the midst of their confusion, right there in the midst of their questioning. I pray for the person who needs to be reminded that you do have a plan for them, that you've not forgotten about them. And I pray that for all of us, we would adopt a posture of humility. And because of your love, that we would seek to share that love with others. Thank you, God, for loving us so much, for giving your most precious son. We know that's because you love the world that you gave. And so we seek to seek to be on mission for you. We seek to give. We seek to serve. We seek to love. Most of all, we seek to understand and rest in your goodness. Thank you for what you have done and for what you're going to continue to do in this place today. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.